Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to episode three of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. It's been a rather good there, 24 hours or so for Tottenham following a 1-0 win over Man City on the opening weekend of the Premier League season. Fantastic start for Nuno Espirito Santo, so we'll be discussing the win over Man City. We'll be having a look at the uh, Europa Conference League squad news. We'll be also looking ahead to Thursday's game against Pacos de Ferreira at uh, potential transfers, ins and outs over the next two weeks. As ever, I'm joined by Alistair Gold, who was at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with me yesterday. Ali, do you enjoy it? Or just being at the stadium with you or the the match in general? Both, both. (laughs) It was good, wasn't it? I think what was nice was it was... I wouldn't say we expected them to be that good as they were, but what I would say is that you and I, and I think we've said this on the you know the first couple of weeks of the podcast, we've both been really impressed with what Nuno's been doing in preseason. You could see the organisation, you could see the attacking structure as well of the team. So to see them put that into practice against the reigning champions, albeit you know a slightly weakened one, you can't get away from that. You know De Bruyne only came on late on and. Maybe not quite at the levels they were yet as last season, but then, you know, which team is? Um, I thought it was, it must have been incredibly fine for a Spirit of Santo. He's only been there a month. And I think a lot of the stuff we've seen, yeah, worked on in pre season, particularly not only those front three players, but the defensive shield and also the defense really kind of came together. And uh, I don't know about you, but it did. It felt like. We've been quite fortunate, and anyone watching, you know, watching the games on the streams that Spurs have been putting up, we've been quite fortunate to watch the building blocks being put into place. And yesterday was like a, oh, actually, it, it even works against the best teams. So now I, th- I was really impressed. Yeah, it was a great day. I mean, is is it now the best moment we've had in the stadium so far? We've seen uh, victories against Man City before, but. Given fans haven't been in the stadium for 16 months or so, I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic yesterday. It was brilliant before the game. I mean, uh, when Son found the back of the net, it was absolutely booming in there. It was uh, it was just a really, really good performance. And it was just great to see uh, Nuno Espirito Santo get a win on his uh, first uh, game in the uh, league. And I think everything just came together really yesterday. I mean, before the game, he was doing his pre-match interview with Sky Sports and he received a huge cheer from the fans in front of us where we were sat and then got a huge one after the game. It was just a brilliant, brilliant uh, performance. Uh, Everyone played the part yesterday. You cannot fault anyone. I think everyone at the very minimum was probably 8 out of 10. So, yeah, uh, really, really good. Uh, I mean, two of the standout players, Javet Tanganga and Oliver and Sally, they were very good. Yeah, yeah. There were, I mean, there were some terrific performances out there. There were a lot of terrific. It's very difficult, really, to point out anyone afterwards who you could say had a bad game. I generally can't think of anyone that did. Even the subs coming on all did their little bits. Even ones, even like Romero in the final minutes, just coming on. Just, I think Spurs put up a funny little tweet as if to say something like. 100% of everything he did, kind of, he completed his aerial duels or that. And yeah, but I mean, it's difficult, I think, to to not focus in on the two homegrown players, you know, the two, one of one of their own, as it were. Jaffet Tanganga just, he set the stall out from the first minute. Was it was a crunching tackle on Sterling, I think it was. Just absolutely said, right, this is what we're going to do today. You try and work around this. And he was, bearing in mind, he had two very different kind of attacking threats coming at him in Sterling and Grealish. You know, that's like one pacey guy that can turn you inside out and another guy who's got a different kind of like a guile to the way he plays and at any moment can play a very creative ball or he can beat you with a dribble. But Tanganga, you know, 22 years old, took both of them on and absolutely smashed it. You know, I noticed yesterday some... Cheeky Rascal on uh, Wikipedia had already changed his <laughs> Chaffet Tanganga's entry to something like it had his normal bio, and at the bottom it says 
He has two children, Raheem Sterling and uh, Jack Grealish. <laughs> and he was just tickled me, he really did. He was, he was so good. And, and for someone who doesn't like bigging up individuals, for a spirit of Santo after the game to say he was huge, says it all, just about how big he was and, and, and how good he was. I mean, what a, a lovely moment for him in that, you know, he got substituted with, what was it, a couple of minutes to go, five minutes to go for Doherty, because he was, you know, he'd given everything. But because he came off the far side of the pitch, he got that lovely little, like almost like a half lap of honour in front of all the fans who were singing, he's one of our own, Jaffet and Gangery is one of our own. And it was just lovely for him. And I seriously think, well, I don't even think, I, this is what I'm understanding from people I'm speaking to within the club, is that a week ago, Jaffet and Gangery was likely to go out on loan. And he was so good. I think he maybe even surprised some people within the club of just how ready he is. And there's serious like, talk about now, well, well, actually, is he the guy that can make a real play for this right-back slot? Because we know um, Espirito Santo likes to play, a bit like Mourinho did with one defensive fullback. And, you know, Tanganga can lock down that position. And I actually felt, even in the few moments he went forward, he did well. There was one first-time cross he put in, I think, was it Lucas jumped in front of Delhi or something like that? And that really should have done more as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see what happens because Spurs were looking for a right back. Um, you know, we'll talk about more transfers and players they're looking for later. But I know Spurs have been looking for a right back. And I wonder how much Tanganga's performance actually changes that slightly and whether they think, you know, have him balanced out with an attacking right back, whether that's Doherty or... They bring someone else in, I don't know. But I think he's a very good option now. And to just quickly on Oliver Skip, because you know anyone that's heard me talk about Oliver Skip knows I could go on for far too long about Oliver Skip because uh, he is an absolutely class young player. But yeah, 20 years old. I felt he started the game a little bit frantically, a little bit kind of not overawed, but maybe thinking he had to do more than he actually needed to do. And... Uh, he kind of, I think, gave away, gave away the ball. He gave away that foul right on the edge of the box, and I felt that it was the sliding tackle that he did on um, Sterling, just in front of goal, just off to the left of the goal. About, I don't know how long it was in, maybe 15, 20 minutes in. It wasn't that long into the game. As soon as he did that and he pulled it off absolutely perfectly, it was almost as if he just calmed down and it was like, okay, yeah, no, I deserve to be in this game. I don't have to overwork. I don't have to do silly things, come out of position, all of this. And I thought he was superb as well. You know, we've had a lot of people in recent uh, seasons when, you know, bigged up Oliver Skip saying, oh, everything I've seen is just going to be another Tom Carroll. Is he any better than Winks? And all these, this is the trouble, unfortunately. We, and we all do this with all of our clubs. Sometimes we kind of big up a young homegrown player. And then when they reach the level of the first team, we start to pull them back down again when they don't consistently do what we wanted them to do despite the fact that that's exactly what happens with young players. <laughs> they are going to be inconsistent. Um, and I just think Skip yesterday showed, you know, against the best team in maybe maybe Europe, obviously Chelsea will have something to say about that, but against, you know, some of their players, and he looked absolutely at home. You know, if you think about it with thoughts about maybe loaning him out again, some people saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, look, him and Hoybier look like a partnership that is absolutely ready to take on the Premier League. And then it's just about who, who comes in there next, which uh, in the other position, which I'm sure we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, then in terms of Skip, as I mentioned last week on the podcast, he, he just doesn't look out of place at all. And he, he just looks right at home and I think he's got the perfect player alongside him to game and help him in Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Uh, as you mentioned, I think the first probably 15 minute, he tried passing to Hoiberg in the middle of his own half and that got cut out. But after that tackle, that really settled him down and he was exceptional. Uh, Tanganga as well. I know we we're talking about potential loan move for him. Uh, he's shown in the past few weeks that it's crazy to let him out on loan. Uh, he looks to be ahead of Matt Doherty in the race for the right-back spot at the moment. And to be honest, he shouldn't be losing his place in the side. If he can maintain that performance on a consistent basis, then he can make himself a Tottenham regular. But as well as Tanganga, I think another person in the back line who deserves a lot of praise as well is De Vincent Sanchez. He was 
exceptional yesterday. He's uh, someone who they mentioned maybe who could be on his way out of uh, Spurs this summer, but he just stepped up another level yesterday. I think it was a great block from uh, Gundogan shot start of the second half. Uh, what stopped uh, Lloris being tested? Won his headers, big crunching tackling stoppage time as well when City were looked to uh, looking to attack. I thought he was exceptional, and you know you've got someone in Christian Romero who's going to come in, and I think he'd be on the back of yesterday's performance against City, it'd be very harsh for one of Dyer or Sanchez to miss out, but that's uh, a good thing. Selection headaches always uh, a good thing. So it's uh, one of these, It's everything's looking okay at the moment. And do you want to speak about the uh, attacking trio, Ali? What, who, all three of them, I mean, were very impressive yesterday. You mean I can't extol the virtues of Davinson Sanchez because you've swiped yeah, you that away? You can if you want. You can. <laughs> you talk about no, Davinson all you want. No, no, just very quickly. He he was class again. He was, you know, we picked him up after the Arsenal match, the last friendly of the preseason, and and I felt he just walked straight into the this game in exactly the same mood. You know, I said last week that people have said he's come back really confident after the Copa America, and I think we're seeing that, and and you know. A little kind of a shout out, I guess, to the defence because a lot of fans, and you know, maybe us as well, looking at that like back line coming into the game, and you worry about how they're going to deal with the attacking riches that uh, Man City are going to throw at them. And I thought every single one of them stepped up. So Davinson Sanchez was and Tanganga were the standouts for me, but I thought Dyer was very good as well. You know, it's 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 only probably because Sanchez made. That yeah, that saving block in his box, and he made that massive tackle late on in added time as well, which was so vital. And then that just elevated him slightly. But I thought Diane Regulon both played very well as well. Barely put a foot out of place in defence. And Loris, you know, Loris had one meaningful save to make from De Bruyne, and it wasn't even a really difficult save. Um, so sorry, yes, defence. Um, but I will talk about the attacking players. Um, they very similar in in. The, that we saw what they did in pre-season and how they were starting to gel the rhythm uh, to their play. And this, it's really interesting the way they're kind of playing under Espirito Santa. I think you could very easily look at it and just quickly make the conclusion, oh, it's just like Mourinho. It's setting up a bank of defenders and then counter-attacking. But it doesn't feel like that. It feels closer to me to the potch era of getting up the pitch quickly. Um, the pressing's there. They're pressing a lot around the pitch. Um, you know, Hoybier was doing that particularly well in the midfield and, and the, the attack. And, and actually, Deli, Deli Ali was doing that as well. Um, and I feel like, yeah, the, the, it, it's not this idea of, I mean, if, if that had been that team in Mourinho times, you would have looked at it and you'd say, what, well, technically seven defensive players and four attacking players. And in Mourinho times, that would have been a, oh my God, they're just going to sit there as a bank of seven and that ball is going to be hoofed up and maybe they'll break. But it wasn't that at all. It was, they had seven defensive players, but the intention was always to attack. The defensive foundation was there to, to stop anything coming in the other direction. But the, the idea was always to get the ball forward. And I think we saw against Arsenal the week before, it's not just about the counter-attacking. I think that was purely because of the way City were coming forward. Whereas we saw against Arsenal, they also controlled a lot of the possession at times. And, and yeah, that front three, um, you know, you and I both have the same opinion on Bergvine. He could be a really big success in the Premier League. He just needs to keep going with the confidence side of it. You know, got an assist yesterday, albeit probably a little bit of an overhit pass for Son. Um, and his, he had that big chance again. It's one of those where you're just willing it into the net. You really are. You're just praying that it goes the right side of the post, and it didn't. Um, but I just, I like Bergvine. I think he's got all of the tools to be an absolutely top player. It's just that missing little element of probably, it is probably just confidence. I think that's all it is right now. Um, he does little things that are very good and, you know, the way he was driving up the pitch, um, because he's not, I wouldn't say he's an absolute speed merchant. You know, he's not like Lucas. He hasn't got that pace to absolutely fly away. But what he does, he's very clever at kind of moving into the space. 
And even when he was driving away, he had players backing off, he had players moving away because they didn't exactly know where he was going to go with the ball. Um, but he, he, I thought he was excellent again yesterday. I thought Son was... It's really difficult to judge Son's performance because he was super. He was excellent on the day. He was the match winner. He steps up when the team needs him. I think he's really enjoying being the fans' favourite and the star right now, as he should. You know, after the match, we saw him go off pretty much on his own and having a little walk around and applauding all of the four corners of the um, of the stadium. But I'd say, and I think the spirit of Santa said it as well. To be fair. There were chances where he could have scored. You know, he had other chances where maybe he just made the wrong decision or he hit a shot that wasn't great. Um, and I think I'm very intrigued to see kind of how he develops this season, exactly how he's used, because he's developing into quite the central striker. You know, you could have looked at yesterday and wondered how that ball was going to stick up top. and But it was. It wasn't really coming back as much as I think a lot of us thought. Um I just think Son's just, he's just hitting a new level. Um, and Lucas, Lucas, talking to people hitting a new level. Um, yeah, a guy that obviously I've criticised in the past because I've always felt the end product was the missing thing. And I think, especially 2021, if you look at kind of what he did towards the tail end of the season for Mourinho and then I think Ryan Mason as well, um, and now what he's doing under Espirito Santo in pre-season in this game, He's far more efficient with what he's doing. There's less waste. There's less, you know, trademark, beat two man, run into a third. He's not doing that. What he's doing with the ball is actually making a difference. Um, and, I'm yeah, I'm quite excited to see what comes from Lucas now. He's a player that, I wouldn't say I dismissed him, but I kind of saw him more as a, a fringe player who could come off the bench and do things. But I think he's proved yesterday and certainly, you know, in, in, in the preseason and then towards the end of last season that he's, he's got every right to fight for a spot in that team. You know, he's got Brian Hill coming in and we think maybe another attacking midfielder will join them. But, yeah, I don't know about you, but I think Lucas is, is probably one of the most improved players in 2021. 100% agree with you. I think a lot of it probably changed. I think it was the Chelsea match when him and Lamella came on late on. And after that, because they put in a really good showing in the final 20 minutes, after that, that's when Mourinho stuck with them two in the team and Lucas really, I think, kicked on from there. And what we've seen so far in, in pre-season is he can get goals. He's been, you know, a bit of a creative player as well. Lane linked up really well with Bergwijn and Son in that front three and he's just carried that form into the new season. And, you know, if he can carry on, then he can become a bit of a undroppable in uh, Nuno's team. But I think what the problem with with Lucas before, I know you alluded to that when he'll go past two men and then he'll run into the third one and he'll lose the ball. I think what's let him down at times is his uh, productivity in the final third. He should be getting more goals. He should be getting more assists. But then, I mean, you can mention that about Bergwijn. You can mention that about any attacker. If he can, you know, add the goals and assists to his name, then he can definitely be a, a regular starter in that team. And the way he's playing at the moment, he he, sh he shouldn't be dropped. He's linking up so well with the team. He had some brilliant runs through the middle yesterday, especially that one what led to Bergwijn's chance. He must have run through about four or five Man City players. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of a fortuitous uh, deflection what fell to Bergwijn, but... It was brilliant play. I think we saw a lot of counter-attacks yesterday when Spurs were hitting City on the break. A couple of times, Son lost the ball. It was just uh, decision-making, really, maybe just taking a second too long. Uh, I think it was Bergwijn's well who put a, a pass to Ali. That was cut out. But, you know, it's the first day of the season. Everyone's going to be a bit rusty. I think it all came together in the 55th minute when they scored. And it's only going to get better over the course of the season. I think Lucas can play a, a big role in that, as can Bergwijn and Son as well. I think another player who we need to mention is uh, Deli Ali. Uh, I know you thought he played well yesterday, Ali. I think he uh, worked incredibly hard. He's in this new role in the team where it's more of a box-to-box -box put in the work. Maybe a bit of quality was missing at times from him. 
but uh, you, you just cannot doubt his uh, work rate in there, how hard he uh, was uh, working yesterday for the team. Yeah, yeah, and no, Adeli was was very good. It, it, it was a difficult one because I ended up giving him a seven in my player ratings, and I was so close to giving him an eight. And I actually think on reflection, it's one of those where the next day I kind of feel like I was maybe slightly harsh on him um, because I think he did so much of the dirty work, so much of the unseen stuff that, well, not unseen because <laughs> it's in front of our eyes, but maybe the stuff that you, uh, it isn't eye-catching, it isn't the headline-making stuff. And and I think that's that's a huge thing for a player like, uh, like Delhi because... You know, we, we've known Delhi as a goal scorer, as a guy that gets into the box, you know, the, what is he, one of the, I think he, he, didn't he reach 50 goals in the Premier League before people like Scholes, Gerrard, Lampard, all of those, you know, that's what he's known for. So this role that he's been given on the left side of a midfield three, um, but able to quickly shift up the pitch to make a 4-2-3-1 when they're in position, it's it sacrifices a lot of the attacking endeavour that he's been essentially kind of grown up to do. Um, and, yeah, I, I thought he did it really well. And, you know, I asked the Spirit of Santo after the game about it. I said, like, kind of essentially, how comes you've decided really to give him this role? And he just, he said, look, one of the key things, apart from his other skills we know about Delhi is his running. He runs from box to box and he can do it all day long. Um, and he said, so we've kind of, our idea as coaches is to look at solutions that best fit players. And he said, we felt that this position uh, in the midfield three was the best one for him and to help the team. And I, and I can absolutely see it. You know, I was trying to find the numbers. I've got them here somewhere. Here we are. The Opta stats for Delhi's numbers yesterday in terms of his, what he, what he got up to, right? He covered the most distance of the players on the pitch, 11.06 kilometres. And the highest speed, average average the highest speed, which is perhaps surprising, of 6.9 kilometres an hour. I'm presuming that's not because he was the fastest, but, well, kind of, kind of is in a way, but it was more the fact he was more consistently having to run fast because he's getting back and forward and back and forward, whereas someone like Lucas, who we know is incredibly fast, is probably doing that every so often. Um, and I think that just said so much about him. And I think for Delhi, and on a personal kind of note for him, you know, this is the guy that we all got to see in the Amazon documentary, um, you know, being called out for being lazy by Mourinho, being told he was a terrible trainer. And, you know, and to be fair to Mourinho, this wasn't, I wouldn't say the lazy side of things, but it, it was well known that Delhi wasn't the greatest of trainers. You know, that's not where he gave his all. It was more on the actual match scenarios. But what I would say is, you know, he's, he's gone away this summer and he went to Dubai, I think it was, with Carl Walker-Peters. And he worked incredibly hard on his fitness, went to that NES complex. Um, and now he's with NES. Um, he went away to that complex and he absolutely kind of, I wouldn't say rebuilt himself, but he's definitely far, you know, bulked up. He's got a lot more muscle on him. Um, and he returned to Tottenham. And, and I was, you know, I've said this in articles during pre-season. I was told... He and Bergvine were the two that Espirito Santo really kind of, they stood out to him in terms of how hard they were working training and their fitness levels and everything. And I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that they're the two, well, two of the players who got, well, just essentially didn't have the summer they wanted. You know, they didn't get any international call-ups. They had, uh, especially Ali had a tough season last season. They had a lot to prove, I think, coming into this new campaign. And that they've gone away and done that and, and really come back flying and, and Ali in a brand new role. I think it also maybe says a lot to other players in the squad as well. You know, it should kind of serve as a lesson for a few of them. I think, you know, if, if you put in the effort, you know, you'll get yourself noticed. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm delighted for Ali. I don't think the fans maybe are quite seeing it yet because they're used to the, the other Ali, you know, the, the Delhi Alley who who scores the goals. Um, and I think that will come the more and more comfortable he gets in this position. Um, and obviously, you know, he's not going to be playing Man City every week. He's not going to have to be constantly defending um, for almost 90 minutes. But yeah, no, I'm delighted for Delhi Alley. I, I like him and I just think he's a guy that lost his way slightly. Um, and hopefully this looks like he's finding his way back. Yeah. Uh, we'll also mention 
the post-match celebrations as well. Uh, we saw Nuno coming onto the pitch. I think everyone was just saluting the crowd and you were in the stadium late on because obviously we were uh, listening in on Nuno's press conference. I think prior to then you saw Nuno with his family, was it, celebrating on the pitch? Yeah, it was lovely. It was really, really nice because anyone that's kind of been following what's been happening with Nuno Espirito Santo in the last year or so uh, might know that he had a very tough time of it last year with lockdown because just the unfortunate way it played out, his family got caught over in Portugal. So he had to spend a long time here without all of those people close to him. Um, and from what I've kind of read and say, you know, he got quite emotional and then, and really kind of opened up about how, how tough life was for him. So I just thought it was really lovely. And it was, um, it was long after the press conference was kind of tapping out the stuff and, and he came out of the tunnel with his family and he just like just took a moment to drink it all in, really, all of them. And, he, and then they little walk around this, you know, huge floodlit pitch. Um, took a, you know, for for a guy like him, you probably wouldn't imagine it, but you know, they were he was getting photos taken with his family on the pitch and stuff. It was a lovely little kind of just a memento for him of his first Premier League game as a Spurs boss. And you know, sometimes we get very frustrated with Tottenham, and we. Um, maybe look at them in relation to other big clubs and we kind of see them as this maybe smaller entity than these huge spending clubs. But what you can't overlook is the fact that for someone that's, you know, has managed Wolves, who, who are a very good team, but you've got to recognise, obviously, you're a team that have recently promoted and he actually, you know, dragged them up into those two seventh places. To come to a team like Tottenham in that stadium with the setup that's now at the club, it's a huge job. Absolutely huge. And, and, you know, and he and his family will, will be feeling a hell of a lot of pride. And then to go and do that in your first Premier League match, beat the champions, um, it was lovely. And I just, I just felt all through yesterday, there was a real connection between Nuno and the fans. I really felt that. Like you say, that moment when he came out to do the pre-match interview, they just... He looked genuinely touched when everyone started applauding him and shouting his name. He looked really... Yeah, just like it caught in his throat just for a minute. It's just like, oh, wow. You know, I think he will be well aware that he, you know, wasn't most people's first choice or even maybe even in the top 10 choices. Um, and I think to see that they've really got behind him and he got a great ovation when he walked off at the final whistle. Um, I saw him kind of, he was putting his hands up, he was doing all high fives to the people leaning down over the tunnel. Um I think I think they're really connecting with it, and we we found this. Um, a lot of the Wolves reporters who covered him said that that's what the Wolves fans did. They really, really connected with him, and he to them was a bit like Potches to Spurs fans. They really he got it. He just understood what they were about. And I, yeah, I, I've said this before. You know, sometimes the right person for the job isn't the one you wanted or expected, and I do wonder. And uh, you know, I know I'm going to get you to explain this in a minute as well. But I know you've changed your mind on him as well. And I just think, and I have to a degree as well. I wasn't expecting the kind of football we've seen either. Um, but yeah, with a, with a crowd that was so incredible yesterday, and they were brilliant. The crowd, you know, they, you, you know, the old cliche of a twelfth man, but they were, they were. Oh, it was lovely. You know, we we joke about being in empty stadiums and being able to concentrate on our work and all silly stuff like that. But ultimately, when you get 58,000 or so fans like they were yesterday, oh my God, that's football, isn't it? That was back to what football should be. And I just felt that it could have been a game that could have been quite toxic in terms of atmosphere. It could have been all about the board, Daniel Levy, the owners, whatever you want to call it, especially if the result had gone the other way. But it went completely in the opposite direction. And I actually felt that connection with the between the club and the fans, maybe the players and Nuno and the fans, something that hasn't been there. If I've got to be perfectly honest, it wasn't really ever there during the Mourinho era. It never, I mean, and a lot of that, to be fair, is probably because the fans weren't in the stadium. So there was no direct connection. It may have been because people don't like Mourinho. I don't know. But it just felt like like the old Tottenham days again. It felt like the potch stuff and uh, potch times. And, and when the when the crowd were, you know, the fans were proud of the Tottenham players again. And I loved it. But yeah, now I'm going to, 
let you talk about Nunes versus Santa because I know that you uh, you've changed your mind slightly on him as well. I have. I've been so impressed by him in the uh, past what six weeks or so since he took on the job. I can understand why there was uh, doubters amongst the Tottenham fan base when he was appointed uh, as manager, given how uh, Wolves performed last season. Uh, I mean, we were having a chat pre-match about Nuno and what I said was, basically, I'm an Everton fan. Uh, We were heavily linked with Nuno uh, for the job and I personally wasn't keen on him going back, basically, on how Wolves performed last season. I think if he was appointed at Spurs or Everton 12 months previous, I think a lot more people probably would have accepted it given his stock was higher after having a really good run with Wolves in the Premier League and also the Europa League. And I think one aspect of Nuno, what fans probably weren't keen on was Wolves weren't very good going forward last year. They were seen as a bit of a defensive team playing free at the back with wing backs. We've not seen that yet from the start of a game at Tottenham. It is 4-3-3 and it is an attacking 4-3-3. And Spurs can get an awful lot of joy out of uh, Nuno's formation this season if he sticks with it, given the uh, plays he's got there. So, and all of the I think matches he starting... you would have seen that defensive kind of aspect if we that we feared would have been yesterday. <laughs> and the fact yeah. that it wasn't, I think, tells you a lot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we knew now he started to win over a lot of uh, fans in pre-season with the attacking play in the winter. Obviously, you've got to take the opponents into consideration, but it's literally been from the first minute when Spurs have been attacking Uh and I think he's, he'll have won nearly everyone over yesterday. It was was such a, a brilliant day in North London. It was just that everyone's just so glad things seem to be like back to normal. You can have a full house there cheering the team on. And I think we saw can that. I just in the tell Premier everyone League. though. Can I just tell everyone that you? I know you say you're an Everton fan, but let's be honest, you got a bit of an affection for Spurs now as well, haven't you? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know you have. No, I mean, you're reporting on the team, so you want them to win and do well because it makes our job easier. Obviously, well, at times it wasn't <laughs> very good, was it, last season? <laughs> uh, when they were losing at times, you're thinking, oh, what can we write about? So it's much better when teams are winning. Obviously, we want to see Spurs challenging towards the top of the table and, you know, competing for trophies. That's what everyone wants to do. Uh, so, yeah, that's my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely and diplomatically answered there. And also, we we do have connections with people in the club and we talk to them all the time. And, you know, and that's, well, that's Nuno, whether that's the players, whether it's the staff and stuff. So we want to see them do well. Um, yeah, no, just making it very clear to people that while Rob is a toffee, he certainly is also got a little bit of a, I think, a little more than he'd admit, a little bit of an affection for Spurs as well. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we'll move on to something <laughs> Moving else. Moving on. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one talking point what's not going to go away over the next two weeks, and that is Harry Kane's future. Major talking point ahead of the game yesterday, he wasn't included in the squad. He'd only returned to training on Friday. Uh, obviously, deemed not fit enough really to be in the squad given he's not trained on a consistent basis with the first team given his uh, spell away at the Euros with England and his uh, late return so uh, Man City fans were chanting about Kane weren't they during the match and then towards the end of the game it was uh, Harry Kane uh, are you watching Uh, what Tottenham fans uh, were singing what will he have made of those uh, that chant from the Tottenham fans? Because, I mean, everyone was singing it. It was booming around the stadium. It was. It was. I think I turned to you. I think when we, I heard, when we both heard it, and I went, whoa. Because that, for me, was... I hope he doesn't take it in a negative manner. Because I don't think the majority of the fans were meant it in that way. I've seen some people on social media getting quite annoyed about the fact that that charm went out. And I don't think it was it was meant in that way. I think it was meant to say, just look at what you've got. Look what's here. You know, look, look what's happening and what can happen. Because I I think there's a slight and I think yesterday will have added to this. 
while we can all kind of grumble about the way football clubs are run and everything, I think there's just a slight growing excitement creeping back in that maybe Tottenham could be essentially having hitting the restart button and could be getting back to what you know we hoped they were going to do, especially during the Poch era. And I feel that under Nuno that there's you know, this victory was, you know, the previous ones against Man City in the last couple of years at Spurs have been, you know, they were backs to the walls performances. They were snatching the points, let's admit it. Of course they were. They, they were very good defensive displays, tactically quite clever in some of them, but ultimately they were snatching the points. Whereas yesterday was very much, uh, like I said earlier, there was a defensive foundation, but Spurs were always looking to attack. And I think the fans were just saying that, you know, I did wonder whether it was, something was going to happen because we had the Jaffets and Ganga, he's one of our own. And I did wonder whether there's a little double-edged side to that, you know, that, yes, he was brilliant and we're acknowledging that, but we're also saying, you know, you're not the only one, Harry Kane. You know, there are other players we've got coming through um, that, who we can claim as our own kind of thing. Um we're still not entirely sure whether Harry Kane was in the stadium. I've got massively conflicting reports on that. I've had some people within Spurs have told me none of them saw him at all, uh, whereas I was told that Ondembele, Aurier, Roden, players like that were all there and watching the team. But then I've had other people telling me that they think he may have been in a, a box in the stadium watching it kind of away from the team. Um but yeah, I, I hope he doesn't take it in a negative way because I don't think that was what it was meant. I think it was just trying to remind him of what could happen. And I mean, you could be in Harry Kane's camp or you could be Harry Kane and you could say, well, yeah, but I've seen all this before and still Spurs won nothing. What's different? Just because of one game, does it change the fact that Man City are still far more likely to win trophies and things like that? But the whole Harry, Harry, Harry Kane, I was going to call it, the whole Harry Kane situation for me just boils down to one thing right now, and that's whether Man City really want him as much as I think maybe he hopes they do. Because if they're not even, you know, we're now, what we, mid-August, just a fortnight or so left of the transfer window, and Man City have not even attempted to make any bid that would get Harry Kane, or even discussions started about Harry Kane, and for me, I keep on saying it, but I don't think that strikes me as a club that really want that player 100%. You look at Jack Greenish, had a release clause. They just went out and said, yeah, 100 million, we want him. You know, and I'm sorry, but Jack Greenish is a very good player, but he is not Harry Kane. So you're not looking at a similar bid of 100 million. You're looking at far, far beyond that. And even then, if Man City actually showed they wanted to sign Harry Kane, then Spurs would have to agree to that. And I just feel like whether it's his people, whether it's him, I don't know whether I don't know whether he's been sold this idea of something that maybe isn't there. Uh, by all means, Man City would like him, and, and Guardiola has gone on record of saying he would like to sign him. But I just feel if you really want someone, and let's be perfectly honest, Harry Kane in Man City team would be just terrifying. It would be absolutely, you know, yesterday. Any kind of half chances would have suddenly become very real chances on goal and perhaps goals. Um, but if they're not willing to kind of stump up the money that is required, and I just think the more they leave it, the less chance they've got of even trying to start a discussion because Spurs can't let him go. I'd even say maybe now we're in the final fortnight. How does Spurs adequately replace Harry Kane even at the start of a summer window, let alone in the last fortnight? Um, so now it's an interesting situation because yeah, he was uh, Nuno just said he was training at Hotspur Way on Saturday morning, uh, Sunday morning, sorry, uh, ahead of the game. So that was what he was doing, work on his fitness. He's been included in the squad for the European game, which would indicate he will fly out. Um, yeah, kind of all eyes on what happens next. But I'll be perfectly honest, and this probably isn't the best thing to say as a reporter. But I'm so bored of it. I'm really am bored of it now. It's like it's just been dragging on and on and on, and I'm starting to wonder whether it's even going to come to some kind of head or whether it's just going to fizzle out and not be a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know about you, but it just I don't think it's doing anyone any favours. You know, City aren't moving on and buying another striker. 
Spurs aren't, you know, they've got the uncertainty of a, their star man, essentially, not being involved in matches. And for Harry Kane, it's like, whether whatever he says or comes out with, I think his relationship with the fans has been slightly damaged by it all. Um, and again, look, we're not naive enough to think that players run their own social media accounts. But I just thought for such a prominent member of the Tottenham squad who, whenever he's missed a match, has very quickly, someone has put up on his social media accounts, a well done, lads, congratulations, what a result. I just think that we haven't seen that yet. He may, by the time people listen to this, he, that may have happened. But I just kind of felt to get to this stage and that not to happen, it wasn't a great look either. I just feel that it's, it's, it's all about the advice that's being sought here. And the advice being given out is just not being good at all. No. Uh, well, I think yesterday showed that Man City definitely do need a strike. I think they're really mm. toothless at times in the final third. I know we've already mentioned that Larice had one shot to say, and that was what, 10 minutes to go from De Bruyne. Really tame effort as well. Larice had nothing to do yesterday. Uh, so. Yeah, City need a strike. And if they really want Kane, is is this the week they need to make the move? Because, I mean, if you're leaving it to uh, the week after, you're in the final week of the transfer window, surely you're leaving it a bit late then. And surely Daniel Levy won't give the green light for Kane to move in the final week of the window. Because it is then literally, you're giving yourself limited time to bring in a replacement. Obviously, it's going to be so hard to replace Harry Kane as it is, uh, let alone in the final week. Because, you know, if Spurs are on the lookout for a striker, everyone's just going to put the price up for their player, knowing that Spurs have have the money. So that's one we'll have to uh, keep an eye out over the next fortnight. We've certainly not heard the last of uh, Harry Kane. What we will move on to, though, as you alluded to, is Harry Kane is in Tottenham's Europa Conference League squad. It is on... The UEFA website this morning we've seen there is a 25-man squad. I think Spurs had until Friday the 13th, 11 p.m. to name a squad for the playoff round. They have done that. Kane is there, the notable inclusion, but there is no place in it for Serge Aurier or Tangi on them belly. So read into that what you will. Uh, other notable names in there, I mean, it's pretty much... As you'd expect, uh, Maxim Pascozzi, the young Estonian player, is in. Jack Clark's in. Cameron Carter-Vickers. There's no Oliver Skip, Dane Scarlett, Niall John, but they will be on uh, list B. What is for basically, if you're born after, I think, January the 1st, 2000, and you've been at the club for a minimum of two years, you can go on the B list. So, uh, yeah, no Tangi on the belly or Serge Ori, but... You know, Ori's already made it clear he uh, he doesn't have a future at Tottenham with his uh, contracts up at the end of this season. And Dombelli wasn't in the squad again against uh, Man City. A week ago, Nuno said he's not injured. It's just not the right moment for him. And this is the squad for the playoff round. So Tangi cannot go in it for the second leg or the first leg. But I, I do think he said on the UEFA website, you can make up to two changes but they've got to be done uh, in like 24 hours of the match. But that would then mean someone else would subsequently miss out on your 25-man squad. So, I mean, what does it mean for uh, Ndombele then, Ali? Oh, man. It's another one that we just feel like we kind of go on and on and on about. And, and, and I think that's that's kind of down to the player. It's like... I don't want to, you know, you know me. We spoke about this last week, you know, still sending out the laminated membership cards for the Tongi under Melee fan club. But it's becoming more and more difficult to kind of keep uh, maintaining that enthusiasm because, you know, we're now on, like I said, the fourth manager of his time at Tottenham, um, including Ryan Mason. And it's like, Mourinho, Mason, and now Espirito Santo have all had these little issues with him and ha or haven't selected him for certain amounts of time. We know that this has been... Previous coaches have said things about him in terms of just getting that level of consistency out of him. Um, Espirito Santo clearly has been quite diplomatic in just saying it's not the right moment for him. But let's be honest. 
if you're not even going to give him a couple of minutes in a friendly matches, um, I think that kind of says everything about your thoughts on on what he's giving you. And I think the biggest thing that I've got about Nuno Espirito Santo is, is everyone that's worked with him thus far at Spurs has said the same thing. They're all kind of saying exactly the same thing, is that he's a quiet chap. He, he's kind of – people place him somewhere between Poch and Mourinho in the way he deals with players, in the way he talks to you, uh, in the in his methods as well. Um, and he's very quiet, prefers to observe for a little while, get an understanding of people, and then he'll, you know – then he's then he's very warm and he's very um, you know he's very clear in what he wants to say. There's no mucking around. It's complete transparency. He will tell you whether you're a player that he likes or he has in his plans, or he'll tell you if he's a player that's not. Um, and I think most players appreciate that. You know, I think a lot of them don't want to be told, "Oh, you're wonderful," and then you just don't play the next week or something. You know, like like say Joe Roden. I'd imagine Joe Roden. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure he's not particularly delighted right now because, you know, he's currently seeing himself drop down the pecking order when he probably thought the summer exploits, the transfer market, we're going to see him go back up the pecking order. Um, but I'd imagine that, you know, he will start on Thursday night, I'd imagine. If not, he will certainly get game time on Thursday night. Whereas with Ondembele, clearly that relationship with Espirito Santo isn't there or isn't there yet because... He just doesn't mess about Espirito Santo. What I was told was very much like Poch. You're either on board or you're left behind. And that seems to be the case with Ondimbele. You know, we've said before, um, he's considering his options this summer on Dembele, but I can't see how he goes anywhere, uh, purely because for a club record fee, you know, you're looking to recoup at least most of that back. And in today's current market, I don't know. There are very few teams that could do that and do that. Would those teams want him? Um, it's just such a waste of a talent. You know, it really is because I think he just, there's some in the club that are just hoping that this leaving him out is a bit of a, hopefully it'll be a bit of a wake up call. You know, it's like a move's unlikely. It could happen. You can't entirely rule it out because they may look at a club. Oh, sorry, look at a player they want to sign on a, a huge fee and think, well, do you want Tongi? It would be a, you know, in exchange, um, it would be a huge uh, missed opportunity for me. And I think there's a lot inside the club who feel that he could be a world-class player if just the manager can kind of get a hold of him, as it were. Um, I just find it so disappointing. Um, I'd say the Harry Kane, I'd say it's actually more frustrating for me than the Harry Kane stuff. The Harry Kane stuff, I think we knew was coming at some point. Whereas with the Tongi stuff, it felt like last season he was starting to get it. It was the fittest he's ever been. He consistently was much better in games. And I just feel like we're almost back to, not quite back to square one, but it kind of feels like we've gone backwards. Um, and I hope it gets sorted out because I still feel, as much as I've praised Deli Ali, I do feel that Ondembele with the protection of Hoybier and uh, sorry Hoybier and Skip behind him, could be sensational. Um, and it's all about those options. I just hope Ondebele is going to be one of them. Yeah, yeah, I think he could definitely thrive in that four-three-three with Skip and Hoybier behind him. But it is what it is at the moment. Hopefully, you know, we do see him again in a Tottenham shirt because he's such a talented player and he can still offer an awful lot to the team. Uh, so, yeah. Fingers crossed we haven't seen the last of uh, Tangi. Uh, well, what we'll discuss now, so I'm sure everyone wants to know, is uh, transfers. Two weeks tomorrow, uh, the deadline Spurs have already made a bit of a move in the market. Three players coming in, a couple of long-serving players in, Toby Alderweireld and uh, Eric Lamella, who was actually at the double yesterday for Sevilla on his yes, debut. Yes, he was. Coco uh, making a massive impact at uh, Sevilla in their on win. His debut. Yeah, so we've seen a bit of a squad overhaul so far, and you'd imagine over the next two weeks we'll see players such as, you know, your Jack Clarks, your Cameron Carter, because your players on the fringes of the team should uh, move on because, I mean, they need to play regular football and then... Hopefully, Spurs can bring in uh, a few players. One of the players who they have been linked with is Dusan Vlajevic of Fiorentina. Could Spurs be uh, set to move for him, Ali? From what I understand, he's now kind of moved back 
to the top of the the so, so the food chain to the uh, you know the top spot in the strikers they're looking at right now. Um, obviously, Martinez um, suddenly it looked like there was a chance of getting him from Inter, an absolutely class player. At the moment, that door looks to have been I wouldn't say entirely closed, but it looks to be uh, someone slowly pushing it. You can hear that as the door's going. Um, you know, in, well, not to go over the old ground too much, but obviously, if you weren't aware of the story, Spurs went to Inter uh, because of their financial issues and had essentially agreed in principle a deal for um, Lotaro Martinez. And um, then Romelu Lukaku to Chelsea happened. And it absolutely blew that out of the water because obviously it's like, oh, what was it, about 30, 40 million pounds more that Inter are going to get from that deal. And they said, look, we can't afford to sell both of them, um, both of our star strikers. So at the moment, that's fallen through. And it does sound like Inter have balanced up a fair chunk of their books. Because um, Hakimi went as well, didn't he? he um, did. Was it PSG? He came. He came. He went to PSG for big yeah. money as well. So they've raised quite a bit so far this summer. Yeah. So they're starting to get on an even kill, which makes Martinez moving all the more tricky for Spurs. And, I, and I'm, I understand that Vlajevic is is the one now, but it's Tottenham. So there's always a caveat. The problem is, is that Atletico Madrid really want him as well, and as we've always said in the past Tottenham don't really do bidding wars they don't so it's going to be probably a case more of maybe having to convince the player that he's you know he's the yeah Spurs are the best kind of option for him and obviously a key part of doing that will be to say look Harry Kane is going to if Harry Kane is going to stay you will be playing alongside him it won't be a case of you coming in because that's no way to sell. A, you know, we've seen Spurs struggle to sell that to strikers in the past. But if they genuinely are going to be able to say, "Look, we're going to switch to a two up front," uh, which I must admit it would be a slight shame after what we've seen in terms of the new formation. But you know, if, if it's if it gets the best out of certain players, then fair enough. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on the Vlajevic situation. Certainly, a player that. But I believe has shown a keenness to come to Tottenham. I don't know exactly where he is in terms of Atletico Madrid and, and what he wants there. Uh, it could be that you know he's, he's courting interest from both. But yeah, from what I understand, if you're looking at Martinez or Vlajevic at the moment, it's Vlajevic who's the one that's more likely, but with the caveat of Atletico Madrid, who are a formidable opponent, a formidable opponent in the transfer market. You know. You, you've got, uh, with no offence to Nuno Espirito Santo, who clearly we're both uh, growing fans of, you know, when you get Diego Simeone, that's a big kind of uh, deal as well as a player to work for him. And and Atletico are, are a huge club as well. So, um, yeah, be very interesting to see what happens there. But if Spurs could get Vlajevic, that's a big deal. That really is. You know, 21-year-old, um, was he scored 20 something goals? Was he third top scorer in Serie A last season at his age? Uh, is ridiculous, and I'd say he's maybe slightly more similar to Harry Kane than perhaps Mar- Martinez is more a kind of smaller, buzzing around type of player who I think maybe could have complimented Kane slightly better, but. Hey, if Spurs see him as a natural partner, they would have done all their homework, you'd hope. Uh, but yeah, now that'd be an interesting one to see what happens, certainly in the striking department, but other transfers as well they're looking at. In terms of centre-backs then, obviously there's been talk that Spurs have gone a lot to sign another centre-back. We had yesterday Vincent Sanchez, who has been linked with a move previously. He uh, he was excellent. You've got Eric Dyer, Joe Rodin. Christian Romero, Chibet Tanganga as well. Are we going to see another centre-back come in? And if one does come in, is it Sanchez who makes way potentially? This is the whole kind of aspect of, it's almost like trading in the transfer market. It's it's quite, it's it's difficult because, you know, like we say, Davinson Sanchez was magnificent yesterday um, and against Arsenal, yet... If he is the one player that Spurs can get value for in the transfer market, 
he could then still end up leaving the club. Um, it, it's such a strange scenario. From what I understand, Spurs are looking to sign another centre-back, um, a right-back, although I do wonder whether Jaffet Tenganga's performance has given them pause on that at all. Um, they want a striker, as we know, and also if they can get kind of all of the above, an attacking midfielder they'd look at as well. Um, and obviously the other, the main thing with Tottenham is getting those players out the door. It's get freeing up space and funds. Um, and also if Tottenham were to unexpectedly sell someone, someone they didn't really think at the start of the summer they would be losing. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, people will say, oh, it's Harry Kane. I'm not saying Harry Kane. I'm saying any, you know, any player in that squad, um, they're going to have to replace them if they don't feel they've got the options there. So you can't ever rule out that kind of signing as well. But in terms of the centre-back, you know, we've reported... Oh, God, how long have I reported to go? I remember writing an article... Oh, man, maybe... I don't even know what it was. It was so long ago, saying that they really like Nikola Milinkovic, a Fiorentina. Um, it was Joe Jim Anderson was the other one. And I think Lewis Dunk has uh, said admirers at Spurs as well. And it's been really interesting to see now whether Milenkovic is the one they end up with because there was a lot of talk of him going to West Ham and that has not kind of happened. Um, and I know Spurs do still like him. They like the fact that he's kind of got this... He's only, what is he, about 23, something like that. He's quite young. But he's got this leadership aspect to him. Fiorentina have given him the armband a fair few times. Um and I just think, yeah, I just wonder whether that's the signing. I don't know whether it's done off the top of my head whether he's left-footed or right-footed or not. He's certainly a big unit. He is a really, I think he's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's a big lad. Um, and I think he's only not long left on his contract, so I don't think we're talking about a big fee here. <laughs> I was about to say, he'd be very attractive to Tottenham, and a lot of people go, yeah, because he's cheap. Um, that will be partly why. But I think also, like I say, They've been tracking him for a long time. And Paratici will know all about him as well um, from the Serie A stuff, uh, time. Um, but yeah, Milenkovic for me looks like an attractive prospect for uh, for centre-back. But the beauty of this whole Paratici negotiate with 10 players for every position means that he could suddenly advance the move for any if they make a decision, which is a good thing for Tottenham. I do think in the final weeks of Windows before, They've been quite sluggish and they've suddenly had to ramp up their negotiations. Whereas the one benefit of the way Paratici works is that you've got all of these deals at an advanced stage and he just has to pull the trigger on the one he wants or the ones he wants. Um, but yeah, centre-back, I think we'll see another one come in. But it'd be very interesting, like you say, to see who makes room for that other person. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, an interesting final two weeks of the window. I think there's still plenty of movement in terms of ins and outs at Tottenham and as ever we'll have all the latest at football.london uh, for all Tottenham transfer news as every Tottenham fan is going to be keeping an eye on the market over the next two weeks so it's, uh, it's a bit of a busy week coming up for Spurs we have uh, the first leg on the road to Tirana in the uh, Europa Conference League <laughs> road to Tirana I can't believe you just said that Oh man. Well, that's where the final is. So Oh yeah. 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 I hope we yeah. are on the road to Tirana. Pacos the Ferreira in Portugal first up. You're going out, yeah? I am, I am. Pending obviously all the testing that I now have to go through and everything, but hopefully I shall be over there and in Portugal and uh it'd be quite interesting because you know we should get to see a new a few new faces. I'd imagine Romero will play minutes and Brian Hill will play minutes as well and Maybe even Galina starts, uh, Galini starts as well. So, um, yeah, should be some uh, interesting uh, new people for us to write about and, and report on. Yeah, so we'll have Nuno Espirito's press conference on London on Wednesday, we'll have match coverage on Thursday, and then it's a trip to Molyneux for Nuno Espirito Santo quite quick in the season uh, Spurs take on his former club, Wolves. So, uh, as well as that, we're going to have everything on the football.london website as usual so I'd just like to say again thank you to everyone who subscribed and downloaded the podcast we've had some really good reviews uh from people so far and uh we're really pleased everyone's enjoying it i think it is 
available on all podcast platforms pretty much now. I'm sure someone said it's on Acast. I think that was yeah, a bit Yeah, I think we're across the whole lot now. More. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're everywhere at the moment. What's pretty good. So, <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> right, we'll leave that here for episode three of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. We'll be back next week uh, to reflect on the Wolves game, uh, Pacos de Pereira, the first leg, and we'll also be looking forward to the second leg and the home game against Watford. So, as ever, just stick with us at football.london for all your Tottenham news. <laughs>